Section seventy of the Expedition of Humphrey Clinker. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Martin Geeson. The Expedition of Humphrey Clinker by Tobias Smollett. Section seventy to sir watkin phillips baronet at oxford dear knight i believe there is something mischievous in my disposition for nothing diverts me so much as to see certain characters tormented with false terrors we last night lodged at the house of sir thomas bulford an old friend of my uncle a jolly fellow of moderate intellects who in spite of the gout which hath lamed him is resolved to be merry to the last and mirth he has a particular knack in extracting from his guests let their humour be ever so caustic or refractory besides our company there was in the house a fat-headed justice of the peace called frogmore and a country practitioner in surgery who seemed to be our landlord's chief companion and confidant. We found the knight sitting on a couch, with his crutches by his side, and his feet supported on cushions. But he received us with a hearty welcome, and seems greatly rejoiced at our arrival. After tea we were entertained with a sonata on the harpsichord by Lady Bulford, who sung and played to admiration but sir thomas seemed to be a little asinine in the article of ears though he affected to be in raptures and begged his wife to favour us with an arietta of her own composing this arietta however she no sooner began to perform than he and the justice fell asleep but the moment she ceased playing the knight waked snorting and exclaimed o oh, cara what do you think gentlemen will you talk any more of your parga lazy and your corelli at the same time he thrust his tongue in one cheek and leered with one eye at the doctor and me who sat on his left hand he concluded the pantomime with a loud laugh which he could command at all times extempore. Notwithstanding his disorder, he did not do penance at supper, nor did he ever refuse his glass when the toast went round, but rather encouraged a quick circulation, both by precept and example. I soon perceived the doctor had made himself very necessary to the baronet. He was the whetstone of his wit, the butt of his satire, and his operator in certain experiments of humour which were occasionally tried upon strangers. Justice Frogmore was an excellent subject for this species of philosophy. Sleek and corpulent, solemn and shallow, he had studied Burn with uncommon application but he studied nothing so much as the art of living, that is, eating well. 
this fat buck had often afforded good sport to our landlord and he was frequently started with tolerable success in the course of this evening but the baronet's appetite for ridicule seemed to be chiefly excited by the appearance address and conversation of lismahago whom he attempted in all different modes of exposition but he put me in mind of a contest that i once saw betwixt a young hound and an old hedgehog the dog turned him over and over and bounced and barked and mumbled but as often as he attempted to bite he felt a prickle in his jaws and recoiled in manifest confusion the captain when left to himself will not fail to turn his ludicrous side to the company but if any man attempts to force him into that attitude he becomes stubborn as a mule and unmanageable as an elephant unbroke divers tolerable jokes were cracked upon the justice who ate a most unconscionable supper and among other things a large plate of broiled mushrooms which he had no sooner swallowed than the doctor observed with great gravity that they were of the kind called champignons which in some constitutions has a poisonous effect mr frogmore startled at this remark asked in some confusion why he had not been so kind as to give him that notice sooner he answered that he took it for granted by his eating them so heartily that he was used to the dish but as he seemed to be under some apprehension he prescribed a bumper of plague-water which the justice drank off immediately and retired to rest not without marks of terror and disquiet at midnight we were shown to our different chambers and in half an hour i was fast asleep in bed but about three o'clock in the morning i was waked with a dismal cry of fire and starting up ran to the window in my shirt the night was dark and stormy and a number of people half dressed ran backwards and forwards through the courtyard with links and lanterns seemingly in the utmost hurry and trepidation slipping on my clothes in a twinkling i ran downstairs and upon inquiry found the fire was confined to a back stair which led to a detached apartment where lismahago lay by this time the lieutenant was alarmed by bawling at his window which was in the second story but he could not find his clothes in the dark and his room door was locked on the outside the servants called to him that the house had been robbed that without all doubt the villains had taken away his clothes fastened the door and set the house on fire for the staircase was in flames in this dilemma the poor lieutenant ran about the room naked like a squirrel in a cage popping out his head at the window between whiles and imploring assistance at length the knight in person was brought out in his chair attended by my uncle and all the family including our aunt tabitha who screamed and cried and tore her hair as if she had been distracted 
sir thomas had already ordered his people to bring a long ladder which was applied to the captain's window and now he exhorted him earnestly to descend there was no need of much rhetoric to persuade lismahago who forthwith made his exit by the window roaring all the time to the people below to hold fast the ladder notwithstanding the gravity of the occasion it was impossible to behold this scene without being seized with an inclination to laugh the rueful aspect of the lieutenant in his shirt with a quilted nightcap fastened under his chin and his long lank limbs and posteriors exposed to the wind made a very picturesque appearance when illumined by the links and torches which the servants held up to light him in his descent all the company stood round the ladder except the knight who sat in his chair exclaiming from time to time lord have mercy upon us save the gentleman's life mind your footing dear captain softly stand fast clasp the ladder with both hands there well done my dear boy oh bravo an old soldier for ever bring a blanket bring a warm blanket to comfort his poor carcass warm the bed in the green room give me your hand dear captain i'm rejoiced to see thee safe and sound with all my heart lismahago was received at the bottom of the ladder by his inamorata who snatching a blanket from one of the maids wrapped it about his body two men-servants took him under the arms and a female conducted him to the green room still accompanied by mistress tabitha who saw him fairly put to bed during this whole transaction he spoke not a syllable but looked exceeding grim sometimes at one sometimes at another of the spectators who now adjourned in a body to the parlour where we had supped every one surveying another with marks of astonishment and curiosity the knight being seated in an easy chair seized my uncle by the hand and bursting into a long and loud laugh mat cried he crown me with oak or ivy or laurel or parsley or what you will and acknowledge this to be a coup de maitre in the way of waggery ha 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 such a camisciata scagliata beffata oh che roba oh what a subject oh what caricatura oh for a rosa a rembrandt a schalken zooks i'd give a hundred guineas to have it painted what a fine descent from the cross or ascent to the gallows what light and shadows what a group below what expression above what an aspect did you mind the aspect ha 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 and the limbs and the muscles every toe denoted terror ha 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 then the blanket oh what costume st andrew st lazarus st barabbas ha 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 after all then cried mr bramble very gravely this was no more than a false alarm 
we have been frightened out of our beds and almost out of our senses for the joke's sake ay and such a joke cried our landlord such a farce such a denouement such a catastrophe have a little patience replied our squire we are not yet come to the catastrophe and pray god it may not turn out a tragedy instead of a farce the captain is one of those saturnine subjects who have no idea of humour he never laughs in his own person nor can he bear that other people should laugh at his expense besides if the subject had been properly chosen the joke was too severe in all conscience Steth! cried the knight i could not have baited him an ace had he been my own father and as for the subject such another does not present itself once in half a century here mistress tabitha interposing and bridling up declared she did not see that mr lismahago was a fitter subject for ridicule than the knight himself and that she was very much afraid he would very soon find that he had mistaken his man the baronet was a good deal disconcerted by this intimation saying that he must be a goth and a barbarian if he did not enter into the spirit of such a happy and humorous contrivance he begged however that mr bramble and his sister would bring him to reason and this request was reinforced by lady bulford who did not fail to read the baronet a lecture upon his indiscretion which lecture he received with submission on one side of his face and a leer upon the other we now went to bed for the second time and before i got up my uncle had visited lismahago in the green-room and used such arguments with him that when we met in the parlour he seemed to be quite appeased he received the knight's apology with good grace and even professed himself pleased at finding he had contributed to the diversion of the company sir thomas shook him by the hand laughing heartily and then desired a pinch of snuff in token of perfect reconciliation the lieutenant putting his hand in his waistcoat pocket pulled out instead of his own scotch mull a very fine gold snuff-box which he no sooner perceived than he said here is a small mistake no mistake at all cried the baronet a fair exchange is no robbery oblige me so far captain as to let me keep your mull as a memorial sir said the lieutenant the mull is much at your service but this machine i can by no means retain it looks like compounding a sort of felony in the code of honour besides i don't know but there may be another joke in this conveyance and i don't find myself disposed to be brought upon the stage again i won't presume i won't presume to make free with your pockets but i beg you will put it up again with your own hand so saying with a certain austerity of aspect he presented the snuff-box to the knight who received it in some confusion 
and restored the mull which he would by no means keep except on the terms of exchange this transaction was like to give a grave cast to the conversation when my uncle took notice that mr justice frogmore had not made his appearance either at the night alarm or now at the general rendezvous the baronet hearing frogmore mentioned odd so cried he i had forgot the justice prithee doctor go and bring him out of his kennel then laughing till his sides were well shaken he said he would show the captain that he was not the only person of the drama exhibited for the entertainment of the company as to the night scene it could not affect the justice who had been purposely lodged in the farther end of the house remote from the noise and lulled with a dose of opium into the bargain in a few minutes mr justice was led into the parlour in his nightcap and loose morning-gown rolling his head from side to side and groaning piteously all the way jesu neighbour frogmore exclaimed the baronet what is the matter you look as if you was not a man for this world set him down softly on the couch poor gentleman lord have mercy upon us what makes him so pale and yellow and bloated oh sir thomas cried the justice i doubt tis all over with me those mushrooms i ate at your table have done my business ah oh ah now the lord forbid said the other what man have a good heart how does thy stomach feel hey to this interrogation he made no reply but throwing aside his nightgown discovered that his waistcoat would not meet upon his belly by five good inches at least heaven protect us all cried sir thomas what a melancholy spectacle never did i see a man so suddenly swelled but when he was either just dead or just dying doctor canst thou do nothing for this poor object i don't think the case is quite desperate said the surgeon but i would advise mr frogmore to settle his affairs with all expedition the parson may come and pray by him while i prepare a glister and an emetic draught the justice rolling his languid eyes ejaculated with great fervency lord have mercy upon us christ have mercy upon us then he begged the surgeon in the name of god to dispatch as for my worldly affairs said he they are all settled but one mortgage which must be left to my heirs but my poor soul my poor soul what will become of my poor soul miserable sinner that i am nay hey, prithee my dear boy compose thyself resumed the knight consider the mercy of heaven is infinite thou canst not have any sins of a very deep dye on thy conscience or the devil's in it name not the devil exclaimed the terrified frogmore i have more sins to answer for than the world dreams of oh friend i have been sly sly damned sly 
send for the parson without loss of time and put me to bed for i am posting to eternity he was accordingly raised from the couch and supported by two servants who led him back to his room but before he quitted the parlour he entreated the good company to assist him with their prayers he added take warning by me who am suddenly cut off in my prime like a flower of the field and god forgive you sir thomas for suffering such poisonous trash to be eaten at your table he was no sooner removed out of hearing than the baronet abandoned himself to a violent fit of laughing in which he was joined by the greatest part of the company but we could hardly prevent the good lady from going to undeceive the patient by discovering that while he slept his waistcoat had been straightened by the contrivance of the surgeon and that the disorder in his stomach and bowels was occasioned by some antimonial wine which he had taken overnight under the denomination of plague-water she seemed to think that his apprehension might put an end to his life the knight swore he was no such chicken but a tough old rogue that would live long enough to plague all his neighbours upon inquiry we found his character did not entitle him to much compassion or respect and therefore we let our landlord's humour take its course a glister was actually administered by an old woman of the family who had been sir thomas's nurse and the patient took a draught made with oxymel of squills to forward the operation of the antimonial wine which had been retarded by the opiate of the preceding night he was visited by the vicar who read prayers and began to take an account of the state of his soul when those medicines produced their effect so that the parson was obliged to hold his nose while he poured forth spiritual consolation from his mouth the same expedient was used by the knight and me who with the doctor entered the chamber at this juncture and found frogmore enthroned on an easing chair under the pressure of a double evacuation the short intervals betwixt every heave he employed in crying for mercy confessing his sins or asking the vicar's opinion of his case and the vicar answered in a solemn snuffling tone that heightened the ridicule of the scene the emetic having done its office the doctor interfered and ordered the patient to be put in bed again when he examined the egesta and felt his pulse he declared that much of the virus was discharged and giving him a composing draught assured him he had good hopes of his recovery this welcome hint he received with the tears of joy in his eyes protesting that if he should recover he would always think himself indebted for his life to the great skill and tenderness of his doctor whose hand he squeezed with great fervour and thus he was left to his repose we were pressed to stay dinner that we might be witnesses of his resuscitation 
but my uncle insisted upon our departing before noon that we might reach this town before it should be dark in the meantime lady bulford conducted us into the garden to see a fish-pond just finished which mr bramble censured as being too near the parlour where the knight now sat by himself dozing in an elbow-chair after the fatigues of his morning achievement in this situation he reclined with his feet wrapped in flannel and supported in a line with his body when the door flying open with a violent shock lieutenant lismahago rushed into the room with horror in his looks exclaiming a mad dog a mad dog and throwing up the window-sash leapt into the garden sir thomas waked by this tremendous exclamation started up and forgetting his gout followed the lieutenant's example by a kind of instinctive impulse he not only bolted through the window like an arrow from a bow but ran up to his middle in the pond before he gave the least sign of recollection then the captain began to bawl lord have mercy upon us pray take care of the gentleman for god's sake mind your footing my dear boy get warm blankets comfort his poor carcass warm the bed in the green room lady bulford was thunderstruck at this phenomenon and the rest of the company gazed in silent astonishment while the servants hastened to assist their master who suffered himself to be carried back into the parlour without speaking a word being instantly accommodated with dry clothes and flannels comforted with a cordial and replaced in statu quo one of the maids was ordered to chafe his lower extremities an operation in consequence of which his senses seemed to return and his good humour to revive as we had followed him into the room he looked at every individual in his turn with a certain ludicrous expression in his countenance but fixed his eyes in particular upon lismahago who presented him with a pinch of snuff and when he took it in silence sir thomas bulford said he i am much obliged to you for all your favours and some of them i have endeavoured to repay in your ain coin give me thy hand cried the baronet thou hast indeed paid me scot and lot and even left a balance in my hands for which in presence of this company i promise to be accountable so saying he laughed very heartily and even seemed to enjoy the retaliation which had been exacted at his own expense but lady bulford looked very grave and in all probability thought the lieutenant had carried his resentment too far considering that her husband was valetudinary but according to the proverb he that will play at bowls must expect to meet with rubbers i have seen a tame bear very diverting when properly managed become a very dangerous wild beast when teased for the entertainment of the spectators as for lismahago 
he seemed to think the fright and the cold bath would have a good effect upon his patient's constitution but the doctor hinted some apprehension that the gouty matter might by such a sudden shock be repelled from the extremities and thrown upon some of the more vital parts of the machine i should be very sorry to see this prognostic verified upon our facetious landlord who told mistress tabitha at parting that he hoped she would remember him in the distribution of the bride's favours as he had taken so much pains to put the captain's parts and metal to the proof after all i am afraid our squire will appear to be the greatest sufferer by the baronet's wit for his constitution is by no means calculated for night alarms he has yawned and shivered all day and gone to bed without supper so that as we have got into good quarters i imagine we shall make a halt to-morrow in which case you will have at least one day's respite from the persecution of j melford october the third end of section seventy